Yes, Lord, and we know that there'll be that day when we'll be able to crown you with many crowns. Lord, everything that we do on this earth is just an introduction to that time which will be spent with you in eternity. Lord, help us number our days, understand that we're here for such a short time, that this isn't everything, this isn't it. Lord, help us live in the light of eternity. Lord, we've got opportunities in this life to glorify you in ways that we can never glorify you in eternity. And so, Father, we pray that you will pour out your spirit upon us. Lord, that you'll give us spiritual eye salve for our eyes, that we'll be able to see things as they really are, that we'll, we'll have perception. Let us be a people of perception, Lord, a people of spiritual perception, a discerning people, discern what the Spirit is doing and what the Spirit is saying. May our ears be open to hear what the Spirit is saying to us in these days. Let our hearts be soft to the Word of God. Let our minds be cleansed and renewed by the Spirit and the Word, that we might think straight according to the Scripture. Let there be an outpouring of revelation in our lives. And Lord, get every ounce of Babylon out of our spirits. Get every influence and contamination of Sodom and Gomorrah out of our lives. Deliver us from this evil, perverse generation that we live in. Pour out a spirit of repentance and joy on our lives that we will consistently and daily turn to the living God from false idols and things that are not and for things that mean nothing in the kingdom of God. Teach us how to value that which is precious and discard that which is vile. Help us, Holy Spirit. Sanctify us by your power and by your word and mold us into the people that you want us to be, a people holy to you, a people separated to Jesus, a people of passion and power for all the right things, of love and mercy and compassion to a lost and dying world. Lord, let your will be done and let your kingdom come on this earth as it is in heaven. Give us our daily bread, Lord, and deliver us from our enemies. Lord, as we forgive those that have sinned against us, we pray that there will be restoration of fellowship with the Spirit and one another. Lord, cause us to rise above petty human disputes and to see the bigger picture, Lord. Lord, let us see the picture from where you are and where we are spiritually seated in heavenly places far above every power of this age. Let us see our problems with the eyes of faith and according to your power, which is able to do more than we could ever hope or imagine in our lives. Help us to give room to you, Lord, in our lives. Give room to you to move in our lives. Help us to think outside our boxes of traditionalism, legalism, or even the box of our own experience saying, well, that's what I've experienced and that's what I will experience in the future. Break the molds, break mindsets, break boxes and cause your people to come out to a broad space. Lead us by pastures, still waters, refresh our souls in these days. Let there be times of refreshing. 
not just for refreshing sake, but for the sake of your kingdom ministry and your kingdom work. Thank you, Lord, for everybody that has put their hand to the plow in this ministry at every level. Thank you for every worker, every volunteer, every cell leader, every cell member, every attender, every, any person, Lord, that, that feels an affinity towards this house, Kensington Temple. Thank you for them. Each one is precious. Each one is a gift to the body of Christ and the local body here. We thank you for them and ask, Lord, that you will continue to send to us from the north, the south, the east, and the west, the sons and daughters of the latter house. Send them from all the way around the world, Lord. Those that are yet to be saved, Lord, we pray that you will hasten their salvation, that they might come and join us in this great work and this great vision of apostolic breakthrough that you've given to us. Lord, let us not be those that are content with little, the little that we have, content with the little that we have. But Lord, make us a very hungry people, ravenous for the word, ravenous for the manifestation of the spirit, hungry for the glory of God and the holiness of God. People, a people, Lord, make us a people that's not worthy to walk on the earth, a people that are more of heaven than the earth, more of the future than the past or present. Let there be moving in our midst, Lord. Lord, help us not to tolerate things that should not be tolerated and that have been tolerated too long. Give us grace and mercy to turn our backs on such things and to walk forward into your mercy and your grace. Thank you, your grace is new every morning. Thank you that you've not given up on us, but you've only just begun. We are a work in progress. We pray that we will progress quicker in these days, faster by the grace of God. Open our hearts wide, Lord, that we might receive everything that you have as seeds into our being, that our hearts might produce, Lord, righteousness. Oh, Jesus, send the seed of your word coated in the anointing of the Holy Spirit into our lives today. Cause us to rise and become that which you've called us to be in these days, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please take your seats. Good to see you here today. If you have your Bibles with you, I'd like you to turn to Acts chapter 15 and verse 13. Acts chapter 15 and verse 13. I'm speaking today, prophetically I hope, on the restoration of the tabernacle of David. And um, I taught on this at the five o'clock, but this is a different angle I'm coming at. Not doing it so much line, line on line, but um, just as the Holy Spirit uh, leads us. So Acts chapter 15 is very important because this is the great council of Jerusalem. I need to set this in context for you. Acts chapter 13 and 14, we read of the great breakthrough amongst the Gentiles with the gospel. Peter had had that one-off, that first fruits, if you like, where he'd been, by angelic visitation, he ended up preaching to a household of Gentiles the gospel, and he didn't even have a chance to make an altar call. While he was preaching the gospel, right there and then, in their seats or wherever they were, those Gentiles just started believing God, believing God for salvation. 
And as they started believing God and believing the word of the cross, then their hearts were cleansed by faith. And then the Holy Spirit just fell on them and they began to speak in other tongues and praising God right in the middle of the sermon. And, and Peter and his fellow Jews, Christians, were absolutely astonished. It, Jesus had prophesied this, but they, it hadn't, they hadn't understood and they couldn't believe it. And they said, well, what can we do? They're speaking in other tongues. Not only are their hearts cleansed by faith and they're saved, but they're baptized in the Holy Spirit like we were on the day of Pentecost. What can we do? We, we must save them. And oh, I'm sorry, we must baptize them. So they baptized them, but then they stopped and there was no more uh, evangelizing of the Gentiles, just Jews and Greek Jews, until Paul began his first missionary journey. And even he didn't catch on to the importance of his calling. And to begin with, on that first missionary journey, he went to synagogue to synagogue and he ministered to the Jews and had some success. But after a while, they began to harden to him. And he began to see that the Jews were not as soft as they used to be. And there came a point where he said it was necessary to go to you first, but now that you have rejected the gospel, we'll go to the Gentiles. And there was an absolute landslide of salvations. And the Gentiles were coming in left, right, and center, believing God. Miracles were taking place. And Paul returned from that first missionary journey to his preaching center and missionary center in Antioch. And they began to rejoice as he told them about the hundreds and thousands of Gentiles that were streaming into the kingdom of God. And people rejoiced except a few. Some of the Jewish Christians said, well, they need to get circumcised if they're going to follow God. They, they, need, they need to stop eating pork. They need to follow the law. That's what disciples do. That's what Jesus did. He followed the law. Um, they, they need to become Jewish then. They need to. And Paul said, no way, that's not going to happen. And there was a big argument. And that's why they all ended up in Acts 15, in this big council, what are we going to do with all these Gentiles from every nation that are getting saved? Do they need to come under the law? And in Acts 15, we have the testimony from Paul and uh, Barnabas about everything that they'd done amongst the Gentiles. And Peter carries the day when he recalls that time he preached to the Gentiles. And he said, God cleansed their hearts by faith. In other words, all that was needed was faith in Christ. If you want your heart cleansed, you just believe God. Believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and rose again, and your hearts will be cleansed. And Peter said, why would we put a yoke that they're not able to bear, the yoke of the law? But verse 11, but we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. And then James comes and sums up everything. James, the half-brother of Jesus, who was the leading elder of the church of Jerusalem. And uh, he said, brothers, listen to me. Simon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with the words of the prophets agree, just as is written, after this I will, I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it, and the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who makes things known from old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn from God. So James says, I know what's happening here. I can frame what's gone on. And what has happened here is this. 
This is a fulfillment or a beginning of a fulfillment of a prophecy that is found in Amos chapter 9. We'll go to it in a minute. That says, after I will turn, I will build the tent of David that has fallen. Now, in some versions, it might say tabernacle. Anyone got tabernacle? Okay, that's just another word for tent. In some versions, it's got house. Anybody got house? No? Yes, you got one. That's the wrong translation. <laughs> so it's, it's not house. It's it literally the, the word is literally tent. That's the literal word. Now let's go and see this in its original context in Amos chapter nine, verse eleven. Amos chapter nine, verse eleven. Amos is prophesying judgment that's going to come to Israel, the destruction of Israel. But then he's also going to talk about the restoration of Israel. And during that, he also speaks about the Gentiles. Amos chapter 9, verse 11. In that day, I will raise up the booth or tent or tabernacle. In that day, I will raise up the tent of David that is fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old that they may possess the remnant of Edom, that the remnant of mankind and all the nations who were called by my name may seek the Lord. That's from the Greek version of the Old Testament called the Septuagint, which James was quoting from. So the remnant of mankind and all the nations who are called by my name, that they may seek the Lord, declares the Lord who does this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, whom, him who sows the seed, the mountains shall drip sweet wine, and all the hills shall flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel, and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them, and shall plant vineyards and drink their wine, and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them on their land, and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God. And so in this passage, we see that what's going to take place is God is going to restore and raise up the tent of David. I'll be explaining what that is in a minute. And as this is being repaired and set up, the Gentiles are going to come into the kingdom of God. They're going to come streaming into the kingdom of God and they're going to, the nations are going to seek the Lord. And then when the fullness of the Gentiles has passed, we can read this in Romans chapter 11, God is then going to outpour his spirit on the nation of Israel, and all Israel is going to be saved. There's going to be a national fullness of revival amongst Israel. He won't forget them. And that's what we see here in Amos. But you see, James had seen what this was. He had seen that this bringing in of the Gentiles was understood by this prophecy in Amos, the rebuilding of the tent of David. Well, what is the rebuilding of the tent of David or the restoring of the tabernacle of David? Why would James use this passage from Amos? And why would he refer to the restoration of the tabernacle or tent of David? Why didn't he talk about the restoration of the tabernacle of Moses? Or why didn't he speak about the temple of Solomon? Or why didn't he refer to the 
current temple that Herod had built? Why did he refer refer to this tent of David? The tabernacle of David. We know that David was not allowed, was he, to build a temple. He, He was a man of war and God said, nope, Solomon will do that, but uh, you can prepare and get all the material ready, but you will not build the temple of Solomon, which he built. Why? Well, it's because he was a man of war, but also, I believe it was because God wanted David's tent to remain. Now, you may not have ever heard of David's tent or his tabernacle, so come with me to 1 Chronicles chapter 12. 1 Chronicles chapter 12. End of chapter 12. And in 1 Chronicles 12, in Hebron, everybody comes together to make David king. So after all these years of honoring the Lord and honoring even Saul, David is now king. What is the first thing that he wants to do now that he's king? Destroy the Philistines? Go and build a new palace? No, the first thing that he wants to do is bring home the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Lord. You know the Ark of the Covenant, which was in the Holy of Holies, in the Moses tabernacle, and represents the presence of God and The priests would carry it on poles. It was like a box and it had two cherubim angels on each end and and they were bending over looking into the glory of God and their their wings were almost touching, covering the ark and their faces down. It was the picture of the presence of God on earth and it was the presence of God on earth for that time. David wanted the presence of God to come home. He didn't want it to be far off. He wanted to bring it home into the center of his reign and the center of his people. That's the first thing that he wanted to do. And so he did it. Chapter 13, David consulted with the commanders of thousands and hundreds, with every leader. And David said to all the assembly of Israel, if it seems good to you and from the Lord our God, let us send abroad to our brothers who remain in all the lands of Israel, that's everybody, as well as to the priests and Levites in the cities that have passed your lands, that they may be gathered to us. Then let us bring again the ark of God to us, for we did not seek it in the days of Saul. All the assembly agreed to do so, for the thing was right in their eyes. You see, David knew he needed the presence of God. Uh, For what he wanted to do and who he wanted to be, he needed the presence of God, not some far away presence of God, not some historical record of the presence of God. He wanted the presence of God in the midst of the people. This was the first thing he wanted to do as a king. But his first attempt to bring the ark of the presence of God into the people failed. We see in verse 5 onwards what takes place is they go and they, they get the ark And verse 7, and they carried the ark of God on a new cart from the house of Abinadab and Ozar and Ahio were driving the cart. And David and all Israel were celebrating before God with their might, all their might with songs, lyres, harps, tambourines, cymbals and trumpets. When they came to the threshing floor of Chidon, Uzzah put out his hand to take hold of the ark for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah. And he struck him down because he put his hand to the ark. 
and he died there before God. And David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah. And that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of God that day. And he said, how can I bring the ark of God home to me? So David did not take the ark home into the city of David. But they took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Jittite. And the ark of the God remained with the household of Obed-Edom in his house three months. And the Lord blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that he had. You see, David wanted the presence of God, but his first attempt was a tragic failure. And David was really angry about this. I mean, he was offended by the Lord by this. Because he thought he was doing a great thing, a wonderful thing. There they were, worshipping the Lord, bringing the Lord right back into the centre of his people. And then the, the cart stumbles, Uzzah puts his hands on it, and God kills him. And David is thinking, how on earth can I bring this ark back if there's so much judgment attached to it? What if somebody else that's not a Levite priest? Uzzah was only trying to help. And he couldn't see how he could bring that ark back without it bringing judgment on the people. And he was troubled about it. So they left it in this place. And this place got blessed because of it. Now then, in verse chapter 14... David just gets on with being a king, goes out and uh, builds things and goes out and fights the Philistines and beats the Philistines and, and God is with him, but there's still this thing in his heart, how can I bring the ark back to Jerusalem? And the problem was, was that David was aware and must have thought at times, I was born in the wrong tribe. I was born in the tribe of Judah. I think David was wishing that he would have been born in the tribe of Levi. I think he wanted to get his hands on that ark. He loved the presence of God. He loved everything that that ark spoke of and brought, the presence of God on earth. And I think when he looked at Uzzah and he, think, and he thought to himself, if Uzzah was struck down for touching the ark, God would strike me down. But the thing is, I want to touch the ark. I want, I want to feel his glory. I, I want to hold it. I want to be face to face with God. We know the Bible tells us that David was a man after God's own heart. And he's thinking, I can't touch that. If only I was born of the tribe of Levi. I think these things were, were going on in his mind. We know that David was a worshipping warrior. When Saul was under an evil spirit, they sent for David and they said, David, he is a great psalmist and he plays anointed worship. But also he was a great warrior at the same time. And so he was known as a warrior worship and he brought a worship revolution into Israel. I mean, before David, they would just go through priestly motions and sacrifices but he brought a worship revolution. His worship was prophetic, spontaneous, and inspirational. I mean, he used to worship the Lord with the few sheep he looked after on the hills, praising the Lord, worshiping the Lord. It was prophetic, spontaneous. It wasn't ritualistic. It had nothing to do with the Levitical system. And he wanted to worship the glory of God and the presence of God. And he didn't know what to do now. I think that God met with him in a powerful way. 
And we're going to see in chapter 15 that he builds a tent and he brings the ark back. But what changed? Why did David change his mind? He thought, I can't bring this ark back. How can I do this? How can I bring the ark of God home to me? That was his question, wasn't it, in verse 12 of chapter 13. I think that was a prayer, and I think God heard it. And you say, well, what was the answer? I believe the answer was in Psalm 110. Psalm 110, let, let, let's go to that. The most quoted psalm in the New Testament. In fact, the most quoted Old Testament passage in the New Testament. Psalm 110. I believe that David had a powerful revelation in this psalm and that he saw into the heavenlies conversation between God the Father and God the Son. And I believe this gave the answer to him of how he could bring home the ark of the presence of God. The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. From the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment amongst the nations. We can leave it there. Now, what, what was it that hit David? It was this. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek, not the order of Levi. Now, only the Levites were able to carry the ark and Uzzah was struck because he wasn't a Levite. According to Mosaic law, only the Levites could touch the ark. So God was speaking here about another priestly order, the order of Melchizedek. Now, this is important because we know in the New Testament that Jesus is a high priest. How many of you know Jesus is our high priest? He's not a Levite. Jesus was born of the house of Judah. He's not a Levite. Jesus is not a priest according to the law of Moses. He's not a priest according to the Levitical code. He is a priest of a totally different priesthood, a totally different order. It's the order of Melchizedek. And you especially, I mean, Jesus refers to this passage saying it, it's him in the Gospels. But you see in the book of Hebrews, for example, that Jesus is a priest in the order of Melchizedek. And what that means, well, the book of Hebrews is telling people, don't go back to Moses. Don't go back to the law. You've got a better priesthood, a better covenant, a better sacrifice, the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, a better high priest, a better priesthood. The, the order of Melchizedek is so much better than the order of, of, of Levi. And, and we find in Hebrews, I'm not going to go in detail, but Hebrews Chapter 5 and verse 5. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, 
but was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. As he also says in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Repeated also in chapter 5 verse 10, Jesus being designated by God a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Well, if you've never heard of this priesthood, if we go to Hebrews chapter 7, it's explained. For this Melchizedek, verse 1, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. That's what Melchizedek means, king of righteousness. And he's also king of Salem, which is the word peace. You could equally translate it shalom. The king of Shalom, or the king of Jerusalem. Salem would be later known as Jerusalem. He's without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, continues a priest forever. See how great this man was, to whom Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. I'm just going to go to Genesis 14 and read this to you, because I know there may be some here who aren't familiar with this, and then we can move on to the tent of David. Genesis chapter 14, verse 18, is what Hebrews 7 is talking about. And uh, Abraham has just beaten all the kings and rescued Lot. Artie Kendall spoke this morning on Lot, uh, Abraham's nephew, and Sodom. And here, he has rescued him. And it says that verse 17 of Genesis 14, after his return from the defeat of Chedorlaomer. And the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet Abraham at the valley of Shavar, that is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of the most high God. And he blessed Abraham and said, Blessed be Abraham by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. And so... In Psalm 110, David is having a revelation and he realizes that in this psalm that there is a priesthood, an order of Melchizedek. And he's thinking, oh, I understand now. I understand. I am not a priest in the order of Levi, but I am a priest in the order of Melchizedek. And this is how I can bring the ark back. It's a different covenant than the covenant of Moses. It's a different priesthood than the priesthood of Levi. It's a different alternative way of relating to God. And that's what Hebrews is telling us that the order of Melchizedek has a different high priest, it's Jesus. The order of Melchizedek has a different sacrifice, it's the cross. The order of Melchizedek is of grace and faith. And it is totally different to the order of Levi that brings judgment. And that's what happened to Uzzah. Brings judgment and fear. David was frightened when he saw the operation of the law kill Uzzah. And he thought, well, what's going to happen to me? He was paralyzed by the law. And that he saw that there was a different priesthood. And he remembered the story 
of his great ancestor Abraham meeting Melchizedek. And David said, hey, wait a second, Melchizedek, king of righteousness, that's me. King of Salem, Jerusalem, that's me. This is who I am. And of course, Jesus was the son of David. He was absolutely right. And so we're going to go now to 1 Chronicles chapter 15 and see this tent. And we're going to see, as you can see in the picture behind me, David dressed in priestly garments, mixing amongst the priests of Levi, but from a totally different order. So, chapter 15, verse 1, the psalm has been written. David has now had his prayer. How can I bring the ark of God home to me? Answered. There's still Levitical priests around. The Levitical priests are still ministering. The law is still in action. But there's a parallel priesthood that that, that was before the law and hasn't been cancelled by the law. The order of Melchizedek was in, in operation at the time of Abraham, and though it hadn't manifested until now, it hadn't been cancelled. It hadn't been overturned by Levi. We see in Hebrews chapter 7 that actually Levi, the priesthood of, of, of the Levites was far inferior, temporary as well, whereas the priesthood of Melchizedek was eternal, never-ending, no end, eternal. And so although the Levites are in this story... That's one side. Don't want you to focus on them. That's a temporary priesthood that couldn't bring salvation anyway. It just covered sin until the priesthood of Melchizedek nailed sin to the cross and brought righteousness for all. It was a temporary system. But I want you to focus not on the Levites that are there, but upon David and the ministry of Melchizedek and on this tent. Chapter 15, verse 1 of 1 Chronicles. David built houses for himself in the city of David. And here we go. And he prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched a tent for it. That's what Acts is talking about. The tent of David. Pitched a tent for the ark of God. Then David said that no one but the Levites might carry the ark. That's fine. And they were bringing it up to Jerusalem and he's gathering everybody Together and is gathering worship leaders together. And we can uh, uh, move to verse 25 of chapter 15. So David and the elders of Israel and commanders of thousands went to bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord from the house of Obed-Edom with rejoicing. And because God helped the Levites who were carrying the ark of the covenant of the Lord, they sacrificed seven bulls and seven rams. Now, now, Now look at David. David was clothed with a robe of fine linen, as also were all the Levites who were carrying the ark. And the singers, and the Chenina, and the leader of the music of singers, and then here it is, and David wore a linen ephod. This is a priestly garment. David was dressed as the Levitical priests were dressed. They were dressed as priests, David was dressed as a priest. As a Levitical priest? No. He'd had this revelation. He said, I am a priest. I'm a priest. And uh, you know, it's interesting because 2 Peter 2, verse 9. 
to show you where we're going with this. Sorry, 1 Peter 2, verse 9. Speaking about all believers in the house today. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. A royal priesthood. The Levites were not a royal priesthood. They weren't royal. They were priests, but they weren't royal. The kings didn't come from the Levites. Neither were they warriors. The priests were not allowed to go into battle. But David, he was a warrior, worship, kingly priest. And so are we today. So there's David with a linen ephod. And the all Israel brought up the Ark of the Covenant. Now imagine the scene. This is why I got the picture behind me. With the, the cute little lamb down there as well. But anyway, it gives you the, it gives you the picture. You, you can see, it's just a picture of what was going on. This was amazing. Imagine all Israel brought up. And they're, and they're shouting. Not talking. But they are shouting. They are sounding horns and trumpets and cymbals and loud music and harps and lyres and what an amazing worship going on. And as the ark of the covenant of the Lord came to the city of David, Michael, David's wife, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David dancing and celebrating and she despised him in his heart. And they brought in the ark of God and set it inside the tent that David had pitched it for it. You see, it was Melchizedek, the order of Melchizedek, that brought the ark back in. The Levites were there, but that, that was, it was the Melchizedek. I tell you what, if he'd wanted to, David could have touched the ark, carried the ark if he'd had the strength. It was the greater order. And so they're parallel. You've got the Levites under the law, but you've got David leading the celebration. And what an amazing, charismatic worship party they had. I mean, Saul's daughter couldn't stand it. And then they pitched it in this tent. Now, what is this tent? This tent, it's just like a canopy, that's all. Just a canopy. And you know that's where the ark of God stayed throughout David's reign. This was the tent of David. This was the tent of David that James, the chief elder and leader of the church of Jerusalem, this is the tent that he was talking about when he heard about all the Gentiles getting saved. And this is why he said they don't need to be circumcised. They don't need to follow the law. Why? Because this is the order of Melchizedek. This is faith in Christ's sacrifice that cleansed their hearts. By faith. Their hearts weren't cleansed by a Levitical priest going into the Holy of Holies. Their, their hearts weren't cleansed by some sort of Levitical sacrifice at the temple that was still operating at that time, but their hearts were cleansed by the blood of the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. 
and their hearts was cleansed because that same lamb was also the high priest, king of righteousness, king of priests, who had gone in not to some tabernacle made by man, but had gone into the heavenly tabernacle, into the real holy of holies, and his sacrifice had been accepted for all that believed. When Peter was preaching, when Paul was preaching to the Gentiles, the moment they believed that Jesus had died for their sins and rose again, the sacrifice and the ministry of the high priest Melchizedek, Jesus himself, cleansed them. And didn't just cleanse them for a day, but cleanse them forever. Once you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and is raised from the dead, you are cleansed once and for eternity. You don't need another sacrifice. You don't need another dose. You've been cleansed. You're saved. Yeah, we need to be sanctified, but you have been cleansed before God. Once you have believed, you are right before God forever and ever and ever. That's how powerful the sacrifice is. That's how powerful the high priest is. That once cleansed, always cleansed. Once purified before God, always purified before God. Jesus' blood, his sacrifice, when he took upon himself your sin and shed blood in place of your sin, when you believe in him as saviour, he has erased the sin between you and his father forever and ever, and you can boldly approach the throne of God. Not even as, as some just, just believer, but you too become a priest in the order of Melchizedek. Because when Peter says you are a royal priesthood, what priesthood is he talking about? None of you are Levites. When I look across, I see people from all over the world, different ethnic groups. You know, in the, in, uh, when, when the Solomon's temple was built, it was a marvelous structure. But I tell you what, I prefer the tent of David. And so does the book of Acts and James and the Holy Spirit. Why do you prefer the tent of David? Because in the tent of David, all God's people could see the presence of the Lord in the ark. All God's people could worship and praise and enjoy the presence of God in that ark, in the midst of them. They could see the ark. They could praise God in the ark. They had the presence of God in the midst of them. Everybody could see it. It didn't matter if they were children or women or men, they could see it. But once that temple was built, Solomon's temple, and I know the glory fell, but it was the glory of the old, and that's nothing compared to the glory of the new. And the glory of the Levite priesthood and the, law, and the law of Moses, there is a glory to it, but it's a frightening, scary glory, and it doesn't touch the glory of the priesthood of Melchizedek. And then they put that ark, didn't they, if you know the temple, in the Holy of Holies. And how many people got to see that? One man. And how many times did that one man see the ark? One time. Once a year on the Day of Atonement. And he better be on his best behavior when he goes into the Holy of Holies. And that's why he had bells on his skirt so that they could hear that the high priest was still alive as he was doing his duties. It's true, that's why he had bells. 
and they had a and they had a big, 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 big long stick with a hook on the end. It's all there. Part of the Levites were in case he dropped dead. And then nobody else could go in, they dropped dead too, and then they could put in this hook and fish him out. Because he was a temporary priest who had his own sin problems. But during the tent of David, everybody could see the ark. Hey, you, you could be a visitor from another nation and you could walk in to Salem, Jerusalem at the time of David and you could see the ark. It was just covered by a tent. Everybody could approach the ark, all right? You couldn't touch it under the Levites and probably not many people had the understanding of Melchizedek at that time. It wasn't the fullness of the revelation. But there it was. And when James heard that the Gentiles had been saved, he realized they don't need to be circumcised. They don't need to follow the law in order to get holy. They already are holy. In fact, they're already priests in the order of Melchizedek. And he says, this is what's happening. God is bringing back the tabernacle or tent of David. And now in the New Testament, it's so wonderful. You want to approach the Holy of Holies. You want to approach God and his presence. Do you know what? It's not just one man from one tribe one day a year, but from every tribe and nation. Male or female, young or old, whatever race you are, whatever nation you're from, this is what James saw. All of those that believe God is calling out a people for himself, a new priesthood from the nations. It doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile, male or female, servant or master. It doesn't matter who you are. If you believe, you have entered into the most powerful body of people on the face of the earth today. It's the church of Jesus Christ, a.k.a. also known as the Order of Melchizedek. You're a priest. You're a priest. And you have access to God. You have full access to God. You can go to God any time. You can step into his presence any time. And this picture of restoring the tent of David is talking about bringing the ark of God's glory and presence back to his people. Back to his people. You say, I thought we had it. We haven't even got it. We, we got the ark of God's, but we've hardly touched it. It's, it's hard what God wants to do in the coming days. What he's fixing and he's planning on to do is, is to bring that ark back in the center. Now, we know that the ark was just a picture of God's presence. That in fact, Jesus, John chapter 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then later on it says, and the word was made flesh and tabernacled. Tented is the Greek word among us. Jesus, when he walked those three years on the earth, he was the ark of God. Thank God he was merciful because anybody touched him with unbelief should have dropped dead. He was the walking glory of God. Forty years it took them to build Herod's temple. And Jesus said, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up again. And the Greek in that 
passage in John, he's using two words because they were, they were talking about the hieron, the Greek word for all of the temple courts. And they were saying, we built this temple, hieron, this whole temple, in 40 years. And you rebuild it in three. But Jesus didn't say hieron. He said, you destroy this naos, which means the holy of holies. And in three days, I'll rise it again. He said naos, they said hieron. He said holy of holies. You don't see it unless it's there in the Greek. He said holy of holies. They said whole temple complex. He was, and then it says in the scriptures, he was talking about his body. Praise living God. And you know what? Three years he ministered on this earth. 2,000 years he's been in the holy of holy. 2,000 years. Not one day, one day a year. 2,000 years. Where is Jesus right now? He is at the right hand of God. You see, they knew what they were talking about, these boys in Acts. They knew what was going on. They knew the significance. This is why Stephen, what really annoyed them and caused them to kill Stephen, is he knew what I was talking about today. And he said, God does not dwell in temples made of hands. And it drove, drove them crazy. God does not dwell in temples made by hands. Jesus is in the Holy of Holies right now. He is alive, well, doing better than he's ever done before. 2,000 years, the blood of Jesus has been before the throne of the Father. And everything Jesus asks, his blood gets the answer yes from the Father. Everything. No wonder he's staying up there. No wonder he's staying up there until the Holy Spirit makes his enemies his footstool. And when God's enemies have been subdued, Jesus is going to come out of the Holy of Holies and he's going to bring the Holy of Holies down here in the New Jerusalem. The real King of Salem. Not some natural Salem, natural Jerusalem, but a Jerusalem that comes from above. That's what's going to come down here, I tell you. These are days of glory. The days of glory are about to hit us. I'm not talking about bits and bobs and little bits of drops here and drops there of God's blessing. Thank God for that. I'm talking about the days of glory are about to hit us. They're about to hit us. The restoration of the tent of David and the glory of God. But alongside that, the restoration of the order of Melchizedek, when all God's people, all God's people, not some class of priests or class of ordained ministry, there's no such thing as an ordained pastor. We're all ordained to the ministry. There is a five-fold ministry that includes a pastor, but there's no such thing as layman and ministerial. No such thing. We are priests in the order of Melchizedek. And our first role is to worship the Lord. I mean minister to the Lord. Not just sing songs and have a good time or, and think, is this worship blessing me? Uh, excuse me? Is this worship blessing me? Do you know, can you imagine the Levites even? The shadow of what we're talking about. They're the shadow of who. Imagine Levite going in and doing his daily service. Now, this really isn't blessing me. 
going to the lava and everything and doing the incense. I'm really not blessed by this. Getting the show bread out. I'm just not blessed by this. This is not, I'm not, oh, I don't even know what I'm doing. I'm not enjoying this. Uh, what? What do you mean is this blessing you? Is that what it's about? Is worship about blessing you? No. Thank God it can do and does. Worship is about blessing God. And we need a restoration of this. We need a restoration. It's not about just good music or just good singing or popular tunes. It's about, it's, it's you. It's not them, although they're meant to lead us, but it's you. There's nothing finer than when the, if I can use the phrase, congregation of God begin to worship the Lord. And then the singers and the musicians, it's almost like there's times when I've seen the congregation just get into this priestly ministry where they're ministering God and, and, and it's beyond what's coming from these speakers. It's beyond that there has become a corporate worship. We're not just singing songs as good as they are and truths as good as they are and enjoying ourselves as we should enjoy ourselves. They were having a great time, weren't they? The tabernacle of David, they're having a great time. But something begins to happen. And guess what? What you're feeling is God is accepting the worship. We are actually impacting God. Our primary task is to minister to the Lord. We are priests. Before anything else, you're a priest. Before you're a pastor, you're a priest. Before you're an evangelist, you're a priest. Before you're a cell leader, you're a priest. Before you're a cell member, you're a priest. Before you're a congregational member, you're a priest. You're a priest. Before you're a doctor, you're a priest. Before you're a taxi driver, you're a priest. Before you're a student, you're a priest. That's who you are. You're a priest. You're a priest. You're a priest. You're a priest. And God's people don't know that they're priests. They don't know that they're priests. They think the priesthood of all believers, when the Reformation did not restore the doctrine of the priesthood of all the believers, it did not restore it. It just said what was obvious, that any believer can approach God by themselves. You don't need some fallen, dog-collared priest to stand in the gap for you. You don't need to sit in some cubicle and confess your sins to a man who will give you a Hail Mary or a few Our Fathers. You can go to God himself because you are a priest. You've been forgiven of your sins once and for all. I'm not disrespecting any denomination. I really am not. Because I can tell you, even our movement, we have lay reps who vote and ministerial reps. What's that about? We're all priests. Priests. We are priests. And what this city needs more than anything is priests. Authentic priests. Not talking about the order of Levi or the order of this or the order of that. Man-made orders of priests. I'm talking about a divine order, the Melchizedek order, a kingdom of priests, kings and priests, a priestly nation, and, and not just priests that are priests, but warrior priests like David, worshipping priests like David for a priestly revolution that come with authority. The authority of Jesus, silver and gold, have I none, but what I have in my priesthood of Melchizedek straight from the name of Jesus who's the high priest of our order be healed be healed the priestly confession 
of healing. The, the ability through preaching the gospel to absolve people of sins. How do you absolve people of sins? You preach them the gospel. You just tell them the gospel and they believe and their sins are dealt with. By faith their hearts were cleansed. Not by penance. Not by sacrifice. Not by any outward act. But by faith their hearts were cleansed. By the blood of the Lamb and by the priestly ministry of Jesus who is praying for us today. We're bread and wine people. That's who we are. When Melchizedek came out, he came out with bread and wine. And you know, there was somebody else that was after Abraham. Melchizedek was after to meet Abraham, but somebody else was trying to get in before he met Melchizedek. Who was that? The king of Sodom. Because the king of Sodom had something to offer Abraham. And Melchizedek had something to offer Abraham. And thank God Melchizedek just got there before the king of Sodom did. And Melchizedek came out and he had bread and wine. The body of Jesus and the blood of Jesus. And when Jesus was before his disciples on the night when he was betrayed, what did he bring to them? Bread and wine. Bread and wine. He was operating as the high priest of Melchizedek. And the early people in the Acts of the Apostles, they were devoted to the Apostles' teaching. They fellowshiped together in the gospel. They prayed and interceded and they broke bread. House to house. They were bread and wine people. And Abraham saw that and he recognized the priesthood of Most High God. Not some low God, but Most High God. There were many false gods, as there are many false gods today and many false priests and representatives of those false gods, as there are many false priests and false representatives of those gods today. But there is one most high God and one most high priest. His name is Jesus Christ of the order of Melchizedek. And Abraham recognized that, tithed to him, and took the bread and the wine. But then almost as soon as he took the bread and the wine, Sodom turned up. The king of Sodom. And you know when... When, you, when, when God gives you victory, when God starts prospering you in all things, when your ministry, if I can use that phrase, begins to take off and God puts favor on your life and, and, and you begin to see the enemies, not human, but the enemies fall before you and victory's coming into your life. You've got a choice, Melchizedek or King of Sodom. They're both going to come and reward you. And so what will happen is when you're blessed and when, you, when you're getting there, when, when you get that raise, when your business takes off, when your ministry takes off, when, when, when your artistic gifting gets recognized, you're singing and your music and you begin to rock it. This is why so many who were brought up in Christian households in America who are now pop stars can't cope with it. Why? Because the king of Sodom was too strong and nobody taught them to take the bread and the wine from Melchizedek. And so you've got pastor's kids going around living in Sodom and Gomorrah, but they weren't always like that because they were in the house of God. But Sodom came and nobody taught them about Melchizedek. So when we get blessed, you're going to find Melchizedek's going to be looking for you. But Sodom's going to be looking for you to do a deal. 
You know, I am not criticizing ministers of high reputation, because who am I? Because I don't know if I could stand under pressures that these global ministers have. Very easy to criticize people. But what I'm saying is sometimes what's happened is that they've been so successful, Sodom's come along and said, hey, we can do a deal. I recognize your success. Just lose that doctrine. We don't like that doctrine. We don't like that moral stance, and you can have all the time on TV that you like. We'd love to bless your church and ministry with money from the government. We'd love to give it to you. Just a few things you need to change and alter so that you can fit in with Sodom a little bit better. It's a conversation. We'll do a deal. Now, that must be a very difficult place to be in as a minister. Can't imagine how hard it must be. But at times like that, and it can happen to us all, it can happen to us all, poor and rich, you get a bit of success, you're going to turn to Melchizedek, and get the bread and wine and give him the tithe, not just money, but you know, give him his due, or are you going to be flattered by the king of Sodom? This is a prophetic message tonight that I'm not just sharing with you today, but I'm praying about and hoping in, we will be part of a restoration of what Acts has begun. Because do you know that Acts is the beginnings? Acts is the beginnings. Acts, the book of Acts, is the model. It's the pattern. I believe that Acts is the pattern with all my heart. I've said it before, those boys knew what they were talking about. Not one scripture reference, not one sermon, not one insight from these men in the book of Acts should be thrown away because it is exactly the way it is. And I and you are believing that one day, the Acts that was the beginning, that we're going to have the latter rain. That everything that is in the book of Acts that God was in is the former rain. And it's the same reign, and it's the same principles, and it's the restoring of the tent of David. But there's going to be a, a latter reign, an end time outpouring, where, rest, where the tabernacle of David is restored and is being restored in many nations that you represent today. I think of Brazil, where 40, 50 years ago, no tabernacle of David. Now it's been restored, and now it needs to be guarded. God is going to pour it out on his friends. We're not going to be the way we've always been. We can't be thermometers. We must be thermostats. What Colin has said about a people of passion, you, you, but it's God that will make us passionate. As we yield to him. He will stir something in our souls. We need some priests. We need some priests that in these days, we're going to worship the Lord. We're going to praise and minister to him. And then out of that, we're going to minister to one another. And then out of that, we're going to go into this satanic city, sin-sick. And we're going to carry the brazen serpent of Moses high. Jesus said, the Son of Man must be lifted up like the serpent was lifted up by Moses. And then all men will come to me. What's that? The tabernacle of David. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That is the brazen serpent. That is the gospel and the power of it. As I close, 
You see that picture of David behind me. For a man to do that, that's not Levitical priesthood. That is a man filled with the Spirit. That is a man jealous for the kingdom of God and the glory of God. That is a leader. That is a leader. That is the only authentic priest in that place. All the rest were temporary, fading away. But there's the real thing. A priest according to Melchizedek. A priest filled with God. That's what God has called you and I to be. Let's just stand in the presence of the Lord. If we could have the worship team back. Why don't you just right where you are, just begin to praise the Lord, speak in other tongues. Minister to him, just where you are. Just minister to him right where you are. We don't now have to have the greatest worship service we've ever had to prove a point. It's not about that. It's about stirring things. Just right where you are, begin to prophesy to him. Tell him how marvelous he is, how wonderful he is. Just in these next couple of minutes, not about you really, if that's all right, but about him. Not about how you feel, but what you say and what comes out of your heart and lads. There's some priestly worship here. You're cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. Don't want any guilt or condemnation in this place. There's no uzars here. You just praise the Lord right where you are. praising him, give him the praise that's due his name it's nearly always meant to be a sacrifice of praise there's no sacrifice, it's not really praise go ahead, sacrifice the woman who poured the ointment on the feet of Jesus just pour it on him pour it on him be lavish pour it on him that's it pour it on him that's it pour it on him can you feel the atmosphere changing don't be distracted, but the atmosphere is changing because this is authentic pouring of worship. So I praise him. Give him a wave offering if you want. Lift your hands if you want. Bow down if you want. Just pour it on him.
Let that priestly anointing kick in. Hallelujah. Let that priestly anointing kick in. born again to do. This is your primary ministry. This is what you were born again to do. Out of this everything flows.
to you Lord and we pray that in these days you will stir by your spirit the priestly anointing amongst us that what we are touching on today will become the new norm and then we'll move on to higher priestly anointings Lord this is what we want to be in your presence and we're grateful for your presence that's here tonight we know there's so much more. These are but the fingertips. These are the fringes of what you want to do and pour out on us. Uh, we, we want to be hungry. We're very thankful, but we're not satisfied. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that in these days you will stir us in our ministry to the Father and to the Master. Holy Spirit, you love to give glory to Jesus and the Father. So we ask you to help us in our priestly ministry that the quality of our priestly ministry would increase beyond all recognition in the coming days. The quality, because it will be of you, Lord, 
consecration and an anointing. Because Lord, we know that as we bless the Lord and minister to Him, that's when miracles take place. That's when deliverances come. The devil can't cope with it. As we minister to you, that's when the kingdom of heaven comes to earth in powerful ways. It's, it's not the focus. Forgive us, Lord, if we be more, if I and we have been more concerned at times about ministering to people than ministering to you. We put the cart before the horse. <laughs> no one loves people more than you, but Lord, if we were to put ministry to you before ministry to people, then the people would be ministered to like never before. Teach us these things, Holy Spirit, in these days we pray. Lord, let your blessing rest upon us tonight as we leave today. As we go into this week, Lord, let there be a special and peculiar anointing upon our lives that will work in us and through us. The blessing of God Almighty, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, be with you and on you all the days of this week. In Jesus' mighty name. Should we give him one clap offering as we close the meeting tonight? Hallelujah. Amen. We're going to close the meeting right now, but ministry team, if you would come forward, if there's anything in specific you'd like prayer for, in the next few minutes as people are going, do feel free to come forward. If you say, I, I came specifically to get prayer, then you've got an opportunity right now, but we're going to close the meeting right now and have a great week. And uh, we look forward to seeing you at our revival or our Holy Spirit ministry service next week. So do feel free to come out. God bless you.